Hey guys, it's Tony Machetti with Starving Artist Phoenix. Welcome back. Uh, we got a fun interview this week with Eric Story, local improviser and actor. Uh, Eric and I work together a lot through Dinner Detective, Murder Mystery Theater here in Phoenix. Uh, so he's a lot of fun. He's a really funny guy. Uh, I think you'll like him a lot. Uh, and uh, we were back at Chop Shop this week. Uh, there was a little bit of wind going at Chop Shop. Uh, hopefully it's not too distracting when you guys hear it. Uh, you know, there was a dog at one point and uh, bird sounds going in the background, which I don't actually think were real. Um, I think it was some kind of weird ambiance thing. They were there shooting for like a rainforest cafe type of vibe or I don't know. I don't know anything about bird sounds, but Eric's story is a lot of fun. Uh, he's got some great uh, philosophies about um, getting started in improv and kind of the skills that you learn from that. So uh, check us out. Check him out and enjoy the show. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, actually, just this once. I don't feel the point of bringing you back every other time. Um, but uh, so you, local improviser, actor, man of many hats, it seems like. Uh, so I met you those specifically. Two. Just those That's two. That's it. You name them both. Well, you can wear those hats in many different ways. Uh, so uh, I, I met you through specifically the dinner detective theater that we do. Yes. Um, so. I kind of want to jump into that, and then we're going to back up a little bit into kind of how you how you got into Arizona in the first place. So, sure. Dinner Detective is a very specific form of entertainment, I feel like, but it's something that I didn't realize was so uh, abundant, I guess, in, in so many different ways. Like, it seems like a, a, like just this company that we work for has a, a presence in a lot of different cities, and oh, yeah. there's a, a, even like at least one more other company in town. Um, so, how did you stumble on something like that? Um... It's uh, just being in the right place and being lucky. I um, was taking improv classes at um, the Jesters here in Phoenix, short form place, and a guy that I was taking classes with uh, was also a part of the community of the Torch Theater, where I am, I am now uh, mainly. And he, um, <clears throat> this was maybe a year tops into my forming life. Um, I was, to call me a late bloomer would be an understatement. <laughs> um, so I was taking a class. He had mentioned, uh, because I was uh, taking, I was doing, I was kind of on a team with him and we were kind of, three or four of us were rehearsing occasionally. Just, I was brand new to it. And he mentioned that he uh, had been told about an audition that he was about to go to that weekend um, for a murder mystery thing. And I looked it up, and I remember uh, reading that I needed to perform a comedic monologue. And I think it was like two days away. Oh, wow. And I thought to myself, I, w I was a teacher at the time. I had, um, you know, I didn't have a bunch of free time. It was like on a Wednesday night. And I heard about it on like a Monday. 
and I thought this this would be cool, uh, and ultimately I just realized I didn't have time to memorize anything, mm. and I kind of took the 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 weakling's way out, right, <laughs> and just didn't do it. And so um, a week later, he sent me another email and said, hey, just want to let you know they're having another audition this weekend because they need, um, they need younger male actors. They didn't get enough, you know, like 18 to 30 or whatever. So I said, okay, second chance. Uh, might as well give it a shot. You had and more prep time this time around too, right? Yes, except yeah. I didn't use the prep time at all. <laughs> I like I like Googled uh, comedic monologues. I found, you know, all of I didn't think you could find, mm. uh, you know, hundreds of them online. And I thought I'm not gonna be able to memorize this and, and do it well. Uh, and, and keep in mind, I have zero. I had never been on an audition in my life, with the exception of when I sort of auditioned for the Jesters after my level one class, which wasn't, you know, it was more <laughs> like here's an experience. This is not actually. Not actioning for any reason. This is how it would go when you audition for an improv group. Yeah, it was like, I'll I'll, I'll take my lumps, I'll just have the experience, you know? So, my comedic monologue was, uh, I needed to come up with something quickly. I tried to start thinking of movies that I know very well. My favorite movie, probably of all time, is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) And uh, I went to the, (laughs) the beginning of the movie when he's basically talking to the camera after his parents, uh, after he fools them and they leave the house and he's kind of talking to the camera. The, this is the, why he's like showering and cutting yes, in between yes, all that, yes. yeah? Okay. The key, to, the key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I basically printed that out. I knew that I already had the whole thing memorized just because I memorized the movie lines easily. <laughs> and I went and delivered that monologue. On the way there, uh, I didn't have a headshot because I'd never done this in my life. So uh, I got out of the shower. I took a selfie in the mirror of my bathroom, uh, drove to Kinko's, printed it out, and put it on a uh, the, the resume that I had put together the that morning, which basically just said improv class level one through four. <laughs> just on a sticky note. Just yeah, it was, it was, it was as... I, it was as you know fluffed as you could get. <laughs> I later found out because uh, I didn't realize at the time uh, that the photograph that I took uh, was I forgot to put a shirt on. I was fresh <laughs> out of the shower, selfie in the mirror. So I cropped it like just at my, mm-hmm. just below my neck, so you can sort of see that I'm not wearing a shirt. Yeah. And um, it has since been a joke uh, because it looks like a mugshot or like a criminal, like <laughs> serial killer's photograph that they put on the news. Right there, nice. So that was my audition. I went in, I did the monologue. It was, uh, I got, I think, silence the entire time from the two guys uh, in the room. And I left and I thought, well, I tried something uh, that scared me and that would be fun and we'll see what happens. So they ended up uh, giving me a call a few days later and, and gave me gave me the job, I don't know what you'd call it, like, huh. said we'd like you to come do it. Excellent, okay. So, um, despite all that unprofessionalism, <laughs> it worked out. Gotcha, so there's obviously some kind of quality that you had, or maybe just really nailing that age range. Yeah, I have a feeling <laughs> that I, 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 I was a warm body who, who looked him in the eye and, and could act in a small way. Excellent. And, 
I filled the, the slot that was needed, but it's turned out for the best because I've been doing it now almost five years. That's excellent. Now, I mean, you say that you only had on your resume the level one improv class, so what drove you to take that then, Ethan? Um, okay. I was approaching age 30. <clears throat> I um, had never performed, I guess, in my life since probably middle school when they like make you do like the class play in sixth grade or something like that. Uh, I was never involved in any athlete, uh, any kind of performance, art, any of that stuff. I, I loved watching movies. I was that was about it. So I uh, was approaching thirty, and I was always a huge comedy fan, stand up. Um, when I was a little kid, like in sixth grade or something, like recording like Eddie Murphy stand up records and, and stuff. Oh yeah, and like Adam Sandler's CDs and cassette tapes back when uh, <laughs> when those were the media. So yeah, I was always into comedy. I always kind of had this like fantasy of like of. I don't know, maybe doing stand-up, but just kind of was locked into that mindset of I am not, that's not me, I don't know how to do it, and I would probably fail and or be bad at it, and so it's going to be scary and difficult, and it's not me, it's not who I am. I don't do that stuff. Yeah. So I was approaching 30, I was like, if I'm ever going to do it, it's going to be now. I have this weird thing with numbers and dates, mm -hmm. and I just thought, like, this is a crazy milestone and i got to do it, gotcha. and it kind of motivated me. So, um, I did a little research. We actually went and saw a couple of shows here in town. Mm -hmm. and um, Specifically Jester shows? Or Jester, just whatever. went to one Jester's and one NCT. Okay. And... That's National Comedy Theater. Yeah, yes. are, yeah. In Mesa. Um, and I think I just went off a feel. And, I mean, Jester's was also uh, closer to my house. And... Um, kind of took a chance and for, it was a big leap for me because I, like I said I'd never done anything I, I had these these um, thoughts of my friends being like what do you think you are that's not you're not gonna you think you're funny <laughs> you think you can do that like are you looking for attention like it was this I was very putting up these lot of walls and so I just thought I'm still I want to do it I was I you know I had watched the TV show Who's Line yeah that everybody Everyone's their, their introduction yeah. to improvisation <laughs> And it cracked me up, and so um, yeah, I signed up, and um, it was like January third or something. So it was you know the very beginning of the year, and, uh -huh. and did the class and just loved it. Like from the very beginning, uh, the principles of just playing. Yeah. Like I was I was I was thirty. I'd been out of school for six or what seven eight years. I had been in in just working career and had struggles with that and had kind of forgotten about what like playing and like mm -hmm. being a, a sort of a kid can do so I mean I latched onto it right away loved it I think my first class was only like a half a class it was like six weeks instead of 12 uh -huh. and uh, after six weeks I just told them hey can we extend this if anybody <laughs> wants to extend it and like two other people did, and we just ended up going like the full twelve wow. with like a three or four of us. Was it in the class? Was it a half a class like for any specific reason? They just like I don't know. They had one like on weeknights that was I want to say twelve weeks, and one on Saturday morning that was six. 
<laughs> and it was like half of the price and half of the classes and maybe okay. it was just like get more yeah. people in here uh, I don't I know. so yeah I um I I loved it one day I stayed and and joined the like the level three class that my teacher was teaching after that cool he, he told us in the beginning like if you just want to stay and watch you can do that uh -huh. so I took him up on it and he's like yeah just join in so I was I was just kind of like Excellent. I loved it and I just you know wanted to do it as much as I could I can imagine that I mean specifically Jester's is a good choice for something like that just because of the short form focus <laughs> like it's all really about just the fun the joy of it and yeah. There. yeah oh yeah so that that's great. It's, so you had just an excellent first experience, and you just hadn't really turned back since. And you just kind of went through. So when did you transition from more game-based stuff into the long form, the torch chess? So I did the gestures classes for a year, and then another twelve weeks. So like a year and a quarter. Uh huh. And I had auditioned again. So I auditioned like the first time whatever it was three months after my first day of class and then again something like a year later and was this continuously just going like level by level up their program or does yes that work? uh I, I missed the, the level two because it wasn't offered after my level one i guess enough people didn't sign up for it right. so i jumped into three and then i think i did level four twice i was dead set on like making the team essentially like i, I grew up uh, in sports and, yeah. and I was always that was sort of my mindset like if I'm gonna do this like I said earlier you gotta be varsity I wanna be I wanna <laughs> I wanna be good at it so that was probably what was holding me back uh, from trying it for so long which was like the thought of I might fail and so therefore I'm not gonna do it so I still had that feeling and I wanted to make their team and I, at that time I was taking the classes for a year oh. I, uh, I was going to their shows like constantly I probably I probably went to, you know, in 52 weeks of that year, I probably went to 40 shows. Every, almost every Friday or Saturday I went. A, because it was hilarious and I was loving it and I didn't even know that it existed here in the Valley. Yeah. And B, because I was trying to learn it. And you would, I would start to see patterns and um, I'm, I'm very, I'm kind of a studious kind of person. Like yeah. I research everything. I'm super analytical. And so I thought if I go... I go to these things and they let students in for free that's kind of a common thing at any improv theater I've been to yeah so I was going to the shows like crazy and um, auditioned again at the sort of the end and got a call back and just and didn't make didn't make it and I think at the time I was like I know that I'm probably not good enough to play on that stage um, but I still feel like I've improved a lot and um, kind of hit a crossroads of like, do I, am I done? Mm. Is this the last? Because <laughs> those classes are, um, they're not, they're not expensive, but they're also not free. They're an investment. I mean, yeah. So yeah, and, and even, I mean, they're an investment in sort of personal growth. Mm. And um, they did wonders for me in terms of sort of, I, mean, I don't want to say like self-confidence because I, I had a certain level of it, but I also didn't have a good level of it. At the time I started classes, I just started teaching from my previous job um, that went away when the housing market crashed. Mm -hmm. I totally did a career switch and started teaching. So in a sense, I was like performing. So in, in, in a, you know, there's a crossover between performing and standing up in front of 
a group of 30 kids every day and like teaching a lesson. Sure, yeah. I mean, you've got to be a specific version of yourself. You have to be Mr. Story. Like, you have to be the person that they need to see and not necessarily yourself. Yeah. You have to be compelling. You have to get their attention. You have to hold their attention. And um, I knew that I always sort of had that ability, but I also, like, shied away from it. Like, I, I would I would stammer and stutter in, in big groups and, you know, the standard thing that people have, like, sure. fear of public speaking and all that stuff. Like, I was, I was this weird combination of confident and insecure at the same time <laughs> so um and it, the, the timing of, of school of teaching was crazy because it was an art school it was not a public school like i grew up in it was a new school for the arts in tempe middle school and high school charter school um very different than than my than my school experience how would you say different just more i guess stimulating is that the word i'm looking for or? Um, I guess when it comes to... More engaged? The, well, yeah. there, there's a, an extremely wide range of, of arts classes, performing and visual arts classes. Like, I, I went to public school in the suburbs of Chicago, and yeah. the arts classes we had were... I, I literally don't even remember what they were. I didn't take one of them. <laughs> like, well, there was band, and there was, uh, was probably, yeah, like, visual arts or drawing or something, but... At NSAA, there's there's acting and choir and, and uh, film, which I later taught, uh, which was super cool. Yeah. And like fashion and painting and life drawing and and all the kids there. It's very small. Um, all the kids there um, were sort of what I experienced in school, like the the sort of clique of arts artsy kids. Like that was the entire school, <laughs> so it was it was eye opening, and right. I hadn't I hadn't been around kids in like ten or fifteen years since I was one, and so like just seeing how, you know, youth had changed, it was very it was very strange, uh, but it was very cool because it, it helped me open up because the, the kids helped me, you know, get past that those like I don't know uh, questions of like, can you do this? Are you good enough? Yeah. And you would just watch these kids. The coolest thing, I taught math, right, at an art school. Right. The coolest thing was when I would go to the performances, like the uh -huh. middle school kids uh, playing instruments uh, in the band and doing plays. I would watch them, and I was like, this is amazing to see these kids, like, just, just you know, blossom. And in, in some cases, math class is not their best subject. And then you'd watch them on stage, uh -huh. like, just kill it. And, like, this is just awesome. Like, I was inspired. So... Um, bringing the tangent back around, um, I was teaching class. I was kind of getting up in front of people and you know, getting a little nervous about that at the beginning and trying to get good at it. I was watching these kids perform constantly and performance and art and was just around me everywhere. Like it was, everyone was comfortable with it. It was their life. And so that all, I think, sort of led me into, you know, I was teaching for like eight, six months and then I took my first class, at my first improv class. So everything was sort of pushing me there, I think. Um, coming back to, where were we, end of Jesters. Mm -hmm. I didn't make their uh, their team, I, and I didn't think I was going to. And um, the same gentleman who uh, told me about the audition uh -huh. was part of the Torch Theater community. Okay. And Phoenix Improv Festival was coming up. It's in April every year. You should go to it next year. It's a blast. Yeah, you know, I, I actually really wanted to go this time around. I missed it for a myriad of reasons, but 
yeah, it seems super exciting. Well, that's okay. We have a, a place for you next year. <laughs> a seat for so, you yeah. next year at the Herberger Theater, downtown Phoenix. <laughs> Do you have the address? Where can, no. Uh, oh, Google. <laughs> okay, so same gentleman. He uh, he helped you take those those next steps to, to look into just other options around town, basically. Looking. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was at that crossing... That crossroads of like, do I do this anymore? Am I done? Like, I've done it for a little over a year, and really, that whole year I was just like literally getting used to being on a stage in a dark room with spotlights on me. I'd never done it in my life. It was scary. It was it was nerve wracking, and it's hard to like not be thinking about it and mm-hmm. and you know shifting my weight and bouncing back and forth. And I watch the videos and uh, I'm, a, I'm a distraction because I'm just sitting there on the line like <laughs> bouncing back and forth. And so I'm just like in my mind just gaining my footing at that point after a year and a couple months so I thought I could take their classes again but I think I, I feel like I've I've gone as far as I'm going to go mm-hmm. in that in that world yeah. in that well in that, in that in that location sure so Phoenix Improv Festival happened like a month later and I, I went I went to see shows there and saw some of them at the time the most amazing shows I'd seen uh, ever because they were long form, and and that was your first exposure to long form. Then was there? Or? Actually, no. Um, uh, maybe three or four months into my first class, I'm from Chicago. I was home. Uh, it was either for a buddy's wedding or mm-hmm. just to visit my 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 family, and we went to uh, Improv Olympic to see shows there, and um, so those were my first ever long form shows, and it was the old location that they have since moved from uh, that used to be next to Wrigley Field and it's like an upstairs um, big theater well big-ish with like stadium seating and a bar and then a downstairs theater that's like the cabaret so we went to the shows there in the downstairs and it, it feels like you're going into like somebody's basement and <laughs> that there was pictures of like you know Tina Fey and Chris Farley and, sure, yeah. and everybody on the walls as you're walking in and and it was this amazing experience. So I had I had kind of gotten a taste of it a year earlier. It's kind of surprising that you you really only dived into improv after leaving the suburbs of Chicago. That, like yes, I don't know. I'm sure that's been brought up a thousand times I, to well, you. But yeah. I knew that Second City was a thing. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I, I left when I was 17 to yeah. come out here for school. So uh, at the time, I don't know if I would have ever. I guess I could have gone to a Second City show. But yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know what it was. I was in the mecca. Right. of improvisation and, and maybe comedy uh, and and 15 years later I sort of discovered it after leaving <laughs> that's interesting okay cool so you you got to see the Phoenix Improv Festival the PIF as the kids seem to be calling it um, and uh, so you got to see I guess a whole other variety of ways to do improv was that kind of what inspired you just to see all the different interpretations all that stuff um, well I would say like I mean yeah there when you get down to like a micro level, there's huh. there's lots of different interpretations, but in general, I would say long form is um, is sort of lots of the shows were, were similar, uh-huh. but you could tell um, there was a team called King Ten that's out of LA that has been a team for like I want to say 15 years, and you could just tell like they were they were just pros. Like yeah. that's 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 what I walked away with, mm-hmm. probably telling my girlfriend as we were walking to the car as I was like on this high that yeah. I just seen. I'm like they're professional, like they're. It's amazing how good they are, and how it's amazing that you can be that good at something, 
that's not scripted. So that kind of lit the fire, I think, for me a little bit. Uh -huh. Okay. And um, I was kind of on the fence at that point about am I going to continue or not. Mm -hmm. If I do, I'm probably going to go to the Torch and, and take classes there. And, um, and then I did. And so it was specifically the torch because Sam was there and like he exposed you to it. Or was it Sam? No, I hadn't met. I had not met anyone from the torch except for uh, Shane, <coughs> Shane Schellenbarger, who's the guy who was on the Dinner Detective cast in the beginning, and and told me. Uh, I I was kind of doing rehearsals with him, okay, and a, and a group at the time, sort of in between my first with my justice classes and the torch. Um, otherwise, I didn't really know anybody. Interesting. I think it's interesting that you the kind of the through line of all these is like the competitive aspect of it like even uh, as you say you went to the festival and one of the things that stood out was just the the level of talent and professionalism like it's like somebody who's like a baseball enthusiast or aspiring baseball <clears throat> player seeing a pro play like yeah, that's the part that you appreciate yeah. is the people in it did you ever do like a comedy sports style like performance anything like that actually had the competition ingrained in it um, no, no, I had seen it at, uh, at NCT, uh -huh. and um, the shows, the student shows that we did at the Jesters were not, like, comedy sports competitive. Right. Um, but, but yeah, seeing them, you know, comparing it to, like, uh -huh. uh, an amateur or hobbyist yeah. at anything, if it's, mm -hmm. if, whether it's athletics or sports or... or art and then you go and you see someone who's uh -huh. in the upper tier yeah I mean it's 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 inspiring yeah it seems like that that would be somewhat appealing to to you just based on what you said like of your own personality just the idea of like this is it this is objective proof that I am one of the better people on the stage I have I have outperformed the other people here so well, yeah and I, I don't I don't want to um I don't I don't have, I'm not ever thinking Competition. No, nah, it's putting words in your mouth. On stage. Um, but I don't know, maybe it was a drive for me. Like, I, I'm yeah. the drive to improve. Uh -huh. Maybe the fear of of being bad. And, and, because sure. when I'm in the audience too, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm watching shows and <clears throat> often, and it's hard. Uh, I, maybe I'm normal, maybe I'm not. It's hard for me not to be sort of analyzing the show and like uh -huh. looking at who's who's performing, who's, who's coming up with the funny one-liners, who's right. um, making moves that are structural or, or part of the form and guiding the direction, the path of the show itself, who's kind of laying back, who's um, uncomfortable, who looks uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm also, I'm sort of, you know, logging that mentally and, and, tr and maybe changing my own style based on it like here's what I want to aspire to and here's what I don't want to aspire to so I don't want to say judging because I'm not judging is the wrong word but like analyzing what I like mm -hmm. what I what I want to do right. and what I what I don't want to be seen as that makes a lot maybe. of sense yeah I mean yeah, yeah you're I mean it, it, it might not even be you know the same thing that somebody else is looking at so I don't necessarily say it's judging you know it's I'd say it's you're seeing the skills that you want to develop personally and yeah. some people have those specific qualities other people don't so you're just finding what you like about yourself and want to enhance about yourself yeah yeah and not not having not seen very many shows in my lifetime that were long form you're, I'm just being exposed to like the, mm -hmm. the the spectrum of like here's the different types of players that there are so 
I, you know, like a baby who's never seen the world, <laughs> I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing everything for the first time, and um, maybe then filtering it through, like, well, here's, here's the player I want to be, and here's the player I don't want to be. Do you feel like that's a quality you carry into, like, all facets of your life? Just that, that assessment of people? Um, I don't know if I'm aware of it all the time, but I'm sure it's probably there. <laughs> I'm hyper-analytical. I get in my own head. Uh, I always have. And it's funny because that's one of the things, one of the early sort of, not rules of improv, but one of the things that they teach you. Is like the guidelines. Be in your heads. Head. Yeah. So, and that was another reason why I wanted to, to do, to take the glasses, because I knew this helps you to not be in your head. Interesting. Okay. So you, you, found this kind of new line of, uh, of performing, you know, doing the, the long form. Was yes. it a, a jarring transition for you? Um, no, it, honestly, it was, it, it could not have gone better. Like, I, I had been probably four or six weeks away from my last Jester's class or performance, oh. whatever it was, and I went to the first Torch class, level one, and it was like, I made the right choice. <laughs> I I made the right choice to be here. I made the right choice uh, to come back to taking the classes and not give up on it because um, it felt very comfortable and it, it I had it was cool because I had this new sense of confidence. Like I wasn't a brand new beginner. Sure. Um, like the first the first class at the first the first day of the first class <clears throat> of the jesters at was my first class ever and I was like looking around at people I was like self-aware I was totally like how do these what do these people think about me yeah how can you not be yeah and sure. um and I, I assume that I'm more so that way than than the average person but uh when I got to the torch classes I was like I've done this several times and um I'm comfortable and maybe I'm even um in a position where I'm like more experienced than half the people in this class and maybe I, I, you know, they aren't looking to pursue it. This is like, you know, people in their business who are trying to take a level one class just to get the effects of it and then never touch an improv class again. Right. Yeah. Whereas I was thinking, like, I'd like to do this, you know, go through the whole six levels and graduate and, and, and perform. Do you think that helped your confidence at that point just because I mean that when you're first starting up from a jesters you were kind of testing the waters do you think it helped your confidence to know that like you were going to be in it for the long haul so it's like either way I'm going to stick this out yeah yeah I think um yeah I was just very comfortable mm -hmm. and I was I was thinking that I'm I'm definitely going to keep doing these classes and unless some drastic change happens and I forget how to do it or nice. some unforeseen circumstances like <laughs> And, and the people that I met in that first class, I'm still uh, friends with a handful of them today. One of one or two of them, I'm, I still play on a team with. Cool. Do you feel like there's a very different skill set with different styles of improv like that? Meaning, short Meaning, form, long form? Yeah, or? just game based stuff. I mean, I know that heralds, you know, incorporate games and stuff under them still. So I mean, that's a no whole other thing. There is a difference between just going off of uh, scene work for a half hour versus doing a structured herald. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a different skill. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I wasn't very good at short form. And I don't know how much experience would have gotten me better. Like, there was, there was a couple of, of, of uh, players mm -hmm. uh, at the Jesters, like, 
the first show I saw, um, one of them, his name is Paul Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw him. I'm like, that guy belongs in Hollywood. Like that. He, it to me as an untrained eye, I thought this is this guy's great. Why? What? what? I know that this is <laughs> antithetical to what this podcast is all about, but I was yeah. thinking, why is this guy in Phoenix? Yeah, no, he's, no, it, it makes sense. You know, like he's he's. He, I don't think he's getting paid much. Uh, I don't know, uh, but I know he's got a day job, and as they all do. But like, this is somebody who's just blowing me away with their with their choices and awesome. their, their punchlines, etc. He's now in LA. Good um, for him. Having to go at it. So yes, good for him. Good him. Fuck all of us, Paul Green. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, no, well, that's he, awesome he that you can it. see that right he, away, though. Yeah. I don't. I don't I don't know what it was, but I just thought to myself, like, this... I don't know what I was expecting. I think going in, I was expecting maybe a level of, like, we're not in New York or L.A. or Chicago. We're in Phoenix, so how good is this going to be? Right. Like, I didn't know what to expect at all. I walked in, and the place was packed with 90-some like audience members. And the show was amazing. And I realized, like, there's... Sure. Yeah. The local talent is... <laughs> is Still talent. Is real. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's cool. All right, so... So, oh, skill sets. So... I'll try to get us back to that question that's that you good. asked me. That's good. It's fine. <laughs> so yeah, long form. Um, to me, I was bad at short form. Um, I was confident that I could do that. I could do that. I could be an improviser, just because of, like I said, I'd always loved comedy and I'd always loved making people laugh. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't like go out of my way to do it, but right. it was just I was I'm just like naturally sort of sarcastic and dry and and I don't know. I've always watched different stand-ups and since I was a little kid and sort of analyzed them and like how is this guy different and how is you know why is this funny exactly constructing a joke yeah Um, and so I didn't feel like I was very good at the short form stuff and one of the cool things about long form is they tell you like don't try to be funny Mm -hmm. and short form show like short form is a crowd pleaser yeah short form can survive on television and and I don't think long form could (laughs) you know short form is like you're getting a laugh every like 15 seconds minimally and with long form, you're not, you're not, and that's not necessarily your goal. And which is great for me because I'm not that funny. <laughs> so um, long form to me is more. Uh, uh, there's storytelling elements. They say don't try to be funny. They say play it real. Um, sometimes it's not comedy. Sometimes it's it's just impro- improvised theater. Maybe it's dramatic. Maybe it's tragic. Um, as long as it affects people. To me, that's the goal. Like, you want to get laughs. Mm-hmm. Like, improv, comedy, kind of go to The words go together. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of had permission in the long-form classes to not be funny. Gotcha. And for me, trying to be funny was often a failure in, when I was doing short-form. So, you still have games that you can play in scenes, but... Mm-hmm. You're talking about a 25-minute show with one suggestion at the beginning, and then the team just goes. Mm-hmm. So when when it goes right, from the audience's point of view, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. When it when the show has an arc and comes back around at the end and delivers like a full a full piece mm-hmm. and a, a standalone full piece with a beginning, a middle, and end. It when I was in the audience at least, when I saw it happen, I thought this is amazing. Like this is magic. Yeah. How are they doing it? So for me, when I figured out that it was maybe easier than short form was going to be, because I didn't have to be funny, it you know it the hook, the hook just you know got me even deeper. I was I was 
I was like, I don't have to be funny, and I can still be successful. And trying not to be funny might be the best way to be funny. Yeah, no, I've, I, I've definitely heard that before, specifically from a lot of improvisers, which, I mean, that's got to stand for something. Like, you know, if the more that you're thinking about being funny, you're going to miss other opportunities that could lead to something amazing later on. So you kind of just yeah, have to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you can... You can you can be like funny uh-huh. uh, quickly. You can like be tangentially funny and still stay in the moment. Sure. Without stealing the scene, or without like you know stealing the focus. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely a skill that I think comes with experience, because sometimes you can just tell when you're in the audience someone's trying to be funny, and just the fact that that that, that someone's trying sort of turns the audience off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Versus like the discovery uh, laugh, where the the player just you know, that's obviously yeah. not planned. They're not trying to be funny, and they just say what instinctively comes to mind, mm-hmm. and and because they weren't trying, it it lands like it, it hits it hits the audience. Versus you know the the person who's you know steps forward and kind of mugs a little and yeah and tries to do the well that's <laughs> that just that whole attitude. I think that's why some people find Zinger. like yeah, I think that's why some people like find beginning stand-up comedy so painful to watch is because it, like they're just so desperate for the laugh they need to laugh so much that even what they're saying what if what they're saying is hilarious like yes. the vibe of it is just completely yes, off and, the, yeah the attitude uh-huh. of like wait till you hear this like, next one this is funny guys here's this what is. I've heard this is what stand-up is right I'm just gonna do an impression <laughs> yes I've never done stand-up but um uh, I, I think there's there's a certain honestly there's an element of dinner detective uh, in the role that I play that I think overlaps with stand up because I get to we have a structure right um, it's a murder mystery show with uh, a laid out structure but within it I can sort of like test out jokes and I can test out specifically wording mm-hmm. I'm very much like a word con- word conscious. Mm-hmm. when it comes to crafting jokes so if it doesn't land if I, if I think I have a funny idea and it, it partially lands or doesn't land the next show I do I can tweak the wording a little bit and kind of work it out like I assume a stand-up would be doing that's interesting and I'm glad you brought that up because I did kind of want to circle back to that specifically because you're talking about um, being funny in a, a, a scripted versus an unscripted format um, yes. because Dinner Detective incorporates both of those I, do you I guess you kind of answered my question ahead of time, but like, in, in what ways can you find like the freedom to still bring your own comedy into that? Like, because, I mean, I've I've personally been with you on like I think like four or five different shows, and you've been the detective. Like, there's there's your bits that you do, like you you're changing things up a little bit every night, but you still have kind of the safety gags and stuff that you're performing. Is that ever frustrating, or is that something that you you feel like? If anything else happens, I I feel good about being able to get this laugh. Oh, totally. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's bits that we've that I've had. Like the more I've done, I've, yeah. I think I've done like 120 shows, yeah. and I've probably been detective 100 times. And in that role, the detectives are the the two sort of leads, and sure. they kind of um, guide the show, and they have the most material. And when we get a joke that lands. Um, to me, it's just another like part of my arsenal, like in the Put belt. In if I'm not going to use it in the next show, like I'll have it in my back of my head. 
and I'll think if the scenario comes up in a different show, I, I it'll just pop into my head and I'll be able to use it. Mm-hmm. But then there's also scripted stuff that we know works mm-hmm. every time, and we do it every time because it, to me, I feel the pressure that I need to give these people their money's worth. Okay. And so, if we have a guarantee, if we if we have a bit or a joke that has gotten a laugh 99% of the time, like I'm going to use it. Like, I'm going to I'm going to put it in okay. because I put myself in the audience's perspective. I paid for this show. Um, I want to get my money's worth. So and in your mind, the the kind of the safety nets and stuff like that, the the stuff that for the performer we've seen a thousand times, but like the audience is still gonna laugh. That's that's putting the show before you as a performer. Like that's that's putting the show first and not your own laughs first. To you. I don't know that I separate the two. I think that when I'm in that role. Uh, my personal laughs are the show's laughs. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to personally have a good show, uh-huh. but, but I don't, I don't, I feel like that we are one and the same. Gotcha. So that, that probably makes it easier than to say, like, this is a good laugh, I'm going to give this laugh. Like, it's not about me being funny, it's about the show being good. Yes. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, it's really fun for me sure <laughs> when I, I like look forward like here comes the bit that's gonna kill like there's a high that you get as a performer and a, as a comedian that when when a joke lands like it's I I, I imagine you know what heroin is like to uh, a first time user or something I don't know it's it's why we it's why I do it take my word for it that's exactly what it's like <laughs> I noticed you lost a little weight <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that's that's awesome though. So I, I think that's a good uh, skill to learn because that is something that I, I know gets drilled into you and, and prop a lot too. It's it's not about you make the other person look funny, and so I, I guess it's that on a larger scale. Um, yes. So I mean, do you still do you still feel like you get the opportunities to be creative a lot in there? I know you were kind of talking about that. But. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. See, yeah. like when we first started, <clears throat> the the script that they give us is, um, I I believe. You know, the show came out of LA, and I believe that they workshopped it before they even wrote it down. And they had their bits, and they had their structure, like Act One, Act Two, Act Three. Here's who the killer's going to be. Here's the actors that we're going to plant in the crowd. And then we're going to do the show for the next five years. And as the jokes happen, we're going to write them down, and we're going to keep the good ones. And you know, kind of the good stuff is going to stick. So then they wrote it down, and it's the script is like. It's not a script. It's mm-hmm. not a. It's not just beats. It's specific in some areas. It's general and vague in some areas. So when I read it, I was like, "This is meant to be filled. The blanks are meant to be filled in here." So um, my first copy of the script, I was writing notes all over it. Like, here's potential. I was just trying to do as many. As, I was trying to get as many as much material out as I could. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, here's a possible joke that could work here. Here's a possible joke that could work, work here. Once I realized that you could do that. Because it's, it's it partially scripted, but it's mm-hmm. uh, very much improvised. Because we stand up people from the crowd right. who are guests, and we, and we talk to them. And we have no idea what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. So I've got to improvise a laugh line or not. <laughs> or you know, I've got to sort of navigate that. Like if, if it's a potential for... Uh-huh. If it's someone who's funny, sure. and they can just be funny on their own, I'm just going to set them up. I'm going to let them yeah. hammer all the laughs and... So in, in the scripted parts, I can add in 
material. I, if there's, I try to add in current events. I try to add in um, Phoenix local specific stuff as much as I can. I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to in the very beginning. I really tried to hammer that because the, um, there, there wasn't as much, and I wanted it to feel, I wanted it to feel like, I don't know, and it, there was inside jokes. Yeah. For, like it was for, their show. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I can, I can, if I get an idea in the middle of the week, I can write it down, and when we rehearse the show that Saturday, I can throw it in. Yep. So it's it's very, it's very cool to be able to be freeing of I have the standby jokes I could do the show with my eyes closed after after doing it a hundred times but I can throw new stuff in nice. now with with that and kind of going back to like the gestures too um, those type of venues I guess those type of avenues there's a certain line that you're kind of expected not to cross with your comedy with like your improv and stuff um, do you feel like that is ever an issue for you I'm not sure how Torch is with it. I'm not sure they're. Um, yeah. Your Jester's is family friendly. Right. PG. Um, Dinner Detective is basically. Dinner Detective is P. They say PG thirteen, and, and it's informally PG thirteen. Yeah. I, I think on the website it says say somewhere, like, sixteen and up, age range. And, frankly, in the very beginning, when um, I was probably leaning more, uh, towards the. PG. 25 <laughs> instead of PG-13 um, and I don't know why it was it was it's probably partly lack of skill and dependence on sophomoric humor um, but I always tried to be smart about it like I, I'm not I would try not to hit it on the head if it was going to go blue um, the torch is there are really no limitations there I mean the audience is the ultimate judge but they're not telling you to avoid anything or, or limit your sort of expression um, but you have if you're considering the audience like you the reason why we do this is for the audience right I mean, sure. I mean ultimately we don't do shows in front of empty rooms all the time <laughs> um, we try to get audience there so you have to consider the audience and when it comes to like a dinner murder mystery show that they're that they're paying uh, whatever it is yeah. you know not it's not free <laughs> yeah. um, then I want to be tasteful okay and and not get groans and you know stay away from stuff that's touchy and and stay more middle of the road um, when you do in long form you you know at, at the murder mystery it's it's myself and one other person as detectives who get the bulk of this of the material so it's just two of you, and you often are sort of passing back and forth the focus. Like, it's the focus is on me now, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pass it to you, and now you have your bit. And, and there's a couple of bits that are, that are sort of partnerships, but it's, it's much more solo feeling. I don't know if you get that impression watching it. I mean, yeah, I think I see what you're talking about in that. Um, when you're up there, it seems like a lot of the, the, the jokes that, like, you're each letting the other person have their moment. Like, it's still a solo moment. You're not so much kind of bantering, um, but, like, you're you're both kind of letting the other person take take the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. and there are moments of... There's, there's, there's banter. There's sure, jokes that there involve is, banter, like said, yeah. but they're the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just the nature of it, because you don't necessarily work with the same people every time, and, mm-hmm. and it's hard to work out the bits 
once in rehearsal and then do them right and then never not work with the person again for months. Which is kind of the direct contrast of what it seems like you try to do in long form because yes. the most long form teams, they really try to stick together as much as possible, it seems. Yeah, and that's the thing, that's the beauty that they teach you is, the, is group mind. Like you, uh, there's a book um, called Truth and Comedy that's kind of, there's not a Bible of improv, but if you had to pick one, to, one book to be it, that's probably it. And it's the I.O. Um, Chicago sort of book and where they describe the Herald. And I, I remember a quote in there somewhere uh, where someone was talking about Bill Murray and his time there. And they said that they went and they saw his one of his uh, Herald show that he did. And he, he did not stick out at all. You know, like, I mean, I guess there's like the Robin Williams end of the spectrum, which is... Uh, I'm a whirling dervish, and um, I'm, I'm the focus. And obviously, Robin Williams kills it. Yeah. But I saw a Who's Line episode with him on it, and I, I remember reading an article somewhere mm. by an improviser who played with him once who said that he kind of said, like, you know, let me handle this. I got it. Just just play along. I got, I got it covered, right? Because yeah. he could do that. But the Herald show that, that Bill Murray was in, they, they said something about how he sort of hung back. And he only inserted himself when the show needed him, and when his team needed him. It's a team sport. It's a team. It's a team um, show, and you don't want to steal focus. You don't want to stick out um, as much <laughs> as as maybe short form, where that's the goal. The goal is to like have everybody be hitting on all cylinders. But when it comes to long form, you just have. Ideally, you give the show what the show needs, um, and you check your ego, you know, not even at the door. You check your ego at day one of, <laughs> of class one, like two years earlier. You remove ego completely. Is it, is it difficult to find those right people? Like, how do you know you've got something that clicks? <laughs> um, uh, how do you know when you have a friendship that works? You know, like, it just... <laughs> It just sort of happens. How do you know when you're dating someone who's going to be long-term? It just... But unfortunately, that's hard to do. It's hard to, like, put that together. I often, in the very beginning of, of my improv classes, I thought to myself, if I could only be doing these shows, like, with, like, my three or four closest, like, buddies, like, we would kill it because we're so familiar <laughs> with each other and we all are comfortable with each other um, that it would be amazing. But you're not. You're doing it with the 12 people who decided to sign up for the class. <laughs> so you're, you're, there's a challenge there, mm -hmm. but part of it is addressed in, in the way that they teach you, which is you know respect everyone's ideas and, and support, like make the other person look good. So we happened to have a team put together after like our level three by our, our teacher, Sam Haldeman, and um, we... the almost all of us had been in the classes together and honestly in level one like you're you're everyone's going through this amazing experience of just the classes and i don't think only a couple of us of the 12 had experience previously so everyone's experiencing this for the first time like all this support um you know the kind of stuff that you like teach like little kids like be nice to each other help <laughs> each other support each other you are all on the same team you're all you know, I got your back is what we say to each other before we go on stage because it's comforting to know that someone else ha is going to support you and you, 
and for them to know that you're going to support them. You look them in the eyes. I got your back. I'm going to, you know, we're in this together. Yeah. Wow. So we were we were leaving our level one classes and sitting outside the front doors having two hour conversations with essentially strangers. You know, <laughs> we we had known each other through three hours a week, and we kept we we had a meetup. Uh, a week or two before our showcase, our show, our 20-minute show, because we wanted to um, hang out. So nice. we were, and and part of it was because just we were all experiencing the same amazing thing together, and part of it because we were genuinely, you know, uh, I don't know, becoming friends. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the friendships kind of click immediately, and because you you both share this passion you both are doing this as a hobby you want to continue you want to do shows and the other person is on board so you're just sort of magnetically attached versus the people in your life that that have no idea what improv is and aren't interested so we got lucky our team called the displacers um our level one teacher, and he was our level three teacher, Sam, uh, put it together, and we we clicked pretty fast. And we were rehearsing every week, and it was just a blast. It was like, when I first took my first class at the Torch, I, I actually tried to sign up for level one and level two at the same time, because I wanted to be doing it more than once a week. Like, I, I was just, it was so much fun, and I felt like it was so beneficial to me that one, once a week wasn't gonna be enough. Um, and they don't let you, they want you to like start from the beginning and like learn right. everything in the first one, but I was just anxious to like do it. So rehearsing every week, I was excited about because it, it was just fun. Now, kind of circle back a little bit too, so uh, the Displacers I know have performed at the Phoenix Improv Festival a couple of years, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, it's for somebody who kind of started off uh, seeing that and being taken aback by the level of talent that um, you saw at that point, has it being a part of it kind of give you maybe a different uh, perspective on that like being able to kind of take that whole journey and then end up back there where you kind of first saw it um yeah it was it was a surprise at the time that we that we were invited to play um but it was uh, it was it's definitely a cool moment for me cuz i felt like i i had these like measurable um, moments where uh, one year I, I went to the show, at, went to the festival as a uh, just as a as an audience member, and that was before my first class at the Torch. The following year, I then was a volunteer. I was a photographer. I'm not really a photographer, but I own a camera uh, and I know the basics of aperture and and the basics of how to how to expose a photo and i wanted to watch every show frankly (laughs) and i knew that the photographers could sit in the theater and watch every show for free and i wanted to help out and i was like okay so the next year i was a photographer i watched all those shows and then i believe the next year was when we played so i had these cool and and sort of measurable like stepping stones where I, I felt like uh, I was progressing or sort of like climbing some some ladder of accomplishments or whatever. I, I don't know, uh, however you want to call it. But oh, Is it a different vibe, um, like playing your, your normal weekly show 
as opposed to being a part of an event that's nothing but improv, nothing but what you're doing. Like the audience is there for that all day. Oh yeah. Feel different. Yeah, I mean the the shows that we do um, monthly at the Torch Theater, um, the the capacity there. I want to say it's like 34 chairs. It's very small. It's very intimate. Um, and most of the time, you're at like a half-full house. So you're playing for a smaller crowd. You're probably playing for students. Um, and you, when you go to the festival, you're in a 400-seat theater that looks like, you know, the... The, the amazing theaters you see in like the movies from like the 40s like where King Kong is being held like there's like three layer three levels and there's this you know a 50 foot curtain and the stage is huge and so there's there's an element of just the fact that there's more audience you get more of a reaction more often during your show and as much as we want, don't want to admit it, like playing to a quiet audience that's very small affects affects the performance. Sure. You know, it shouldn't. <laughs> um, and I try to put it on my head as much as I can. And I think the only it affects me a little bit if we're 10 minutes into the show and we're not getting a lot of response. I feel like we've kind of lost them. But when you when you have like 150 people or 300 or whatever it is at the at the Herberger. It's, it's, it's difficult. You have to like do a really bad show to lose that crowd because there's going to be people reacting. So um, I was strangely comfortable. At that point, I had done... So I kind of jumped into the Dinner Detective at the same time I jumped into the Torch, and I was brand new to all of it. And so we're probably like a year in at that point. I was able to like get good experience with, with uh, the Dinner Detective shows. And honestly, at that time, I, I would tell people, like, that's what I do the best. That's what I'm best at. Like, I'm still not great improvising, but doing the murder mystery show every week is, is helping my skills. So when those crowds are bigger, when the festival crowd is bigger, it just makes it <laughs> it's easier. I mean, you, you're going to get reactions from the crowd earlier. And honestly, I, I'm the type of player that feeds off of that. Yeah. Like, I just get more confident when I get a laugh early or when I get when we get a reaction early um, I feel like we've got the crowd sort of on our side and then and that's a big deal like then the moves that you make later are going to get reactions maybe more so than they would if you started off slow same 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 scene halfway through a show might get, might be silent hmm. if you get no reaction early versus if you if the team does well early the same scene is going to get a bigger reaction so I, I analyze it that way. Like, what are the dynamics? What's the crowd thinking? Because I've seen, you know, I've seen lots of shows. I've seen a lot of great shows. I've seen a lot of bad shows. And when you've seen bad shows, and when you've seen, when, when you've been in bad shows, you, it's, you feel it. So do you kind of personify the crowd then? Is the crowd like a person to, to you who's kind of reacting a different way? They have a certain mood. They have a sense of humor that you're kind of playing to. Um, you know, I don't know. I, it's, as much as I'm probably about to contradict myself, uh-huh. I, I'm when it's going well, I'm not thinking about the crowd during the show. Okay. I'm, I'm certainly... Um, there's moments when you expect, like, a laugh is probably going to happen sure. with this line. Yeah. Or, or I'm laughing uh-huh. on the sidelines watching what someone else is doing. But um, I'm not... I don't... Maybe it's a defense where, like, 
I just I'm I'm only thinking about myself. Like, what do I think is funny? Where am I Where am I seeing the show go? If I'm on the sideline, if, if the crowd's silent or not, um, maybe halfway in you realize, well, it's not going so well. The crowd's not reacting, but. When it's going well, I'm not thinking about them. I think maybe the fact that they're reacting makes it easy to forget. Yeah, okay, so maybe that's the bridge. Maybe that's why you think of it at first so often, is uh, once you hear them laughing, you're like, okay, this is going to be a good show, they like us. And then it's yeah. like the freedom to do whatever you want. And then if they don't laugh right away, then you're that <clears throat> beginning comic waiting to get permission to be funny and be well and do yeah. well. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to get through, you just want to finish. <laughs> because <laughs> it's not it's not working. Um, and that, you know, that's the nature of making it up mm-hmm. as you're doing it. So they're not going to be good all the time. <laughs> that's, that's good. Good spot to kind of wind up there. Um, the, the last couple of things I, I like to ask about um, on every like show. I feel like I've done nothing but like preach to you, so I apologize. No, that's exactly what I want. Preach. And we're not we're preach not talking Beyonce. anything about the Phoenix uh, art scene at all. We're just talking about Eric's inner workings of. Well, you know that's I, that's why I do this. Is like I really want that to be a representation of the Phoenix art scene because it's not so much about Phoenix as a city it's the people in it who like find their own paths and so I mean the really the goal of it is uh you know you hear your specific story you hear what works for you you hear um how you've manipulated yourself through all these different venues that are available in town and how like you feel about them and stuff and it gives people an idea what might work for them you know they they can either relate to you or completely not relate to you and that can kind of lead to their own path down this whole story so yeah if you're if you've never done it before Uh i would be your uh model of it's never too late (laughs) and uh if you've always thought you wanted to try something you probably should because you're gonna regret it if you don't Perfect. That's a perfect way to wrap up to the last couple of questions I like to ask. Sure, Because sure. that's a good lead into one of them. Uh, so one thing, I mean, just right off the bat, um, since we're talking about the Phoenix art scene and people in it, uh, who is somebody that you would want to give a shout out to? Doesn't have to be an improviser or comedian or actor. Um, just who's somebody that you think uh, people should look out for in the Phoenix scene? Um, well, my involvement in the art scene in general in Phoenix is pretty much limited to improvisation and extremely limited to the torch theater community in general i mean i've got people that i met from nct and from improv mania and from the jesters um so i mean within within my involvement over the past five years i've I've certainly met other people that do other things um i think that the the people that the, the folks that founded the torch theater are probably the ones who i would say i would respect the most and would want to give him a shout out who was that they deserve it um in no particular order uh bill binder uh jose gonzalez jackie Arend, sam haldeman mac duncan um and uh they were all of the teachers when i arrived i'm probably forgetting some people um uh, there was a guy named Bob Fisher who was here for a few years who uh, literally was one of like the founding members of the Annoyance Theater in Chicago in the 80s and um, he was a huge influence on sort of the Phoenix uh, improv scene when he arrived but I mean Bill and Jose um, I think planted the early seeds Jose does um, other he, he does stand up he's involved in the Phoenix Arts community I would say from what I understand um, as much as anybody over there 
Um, Jackie uh, makes her living in the arts community. She's a, she teaches acting. She teaches improv. She does like corporate workshops. Um, any one of these people, by the way, would also be a great interview for you, and I would I would say would give you much more information. <laughs> Um, Bill uh, is a that is a computer science guy, like a programmer. That old story, the programmer turned <laughs> turned artist. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Um, yeah, he like moved. He basically moved to Phoenix because there was he wanted to go somewhere that didn't have improv and build a community. And I think this was something like fifteen or twenty years ago. Wow. He like came onto it in college and um, through whatever circumstance ended up in Phoenix and started to sort of build it and um, not well not not build it but like look for it and it was happening in other places from what I understand but he um, is I think one of the biggest uh, creative for- forces behind the the festival Mac Duncan also as well so um, and they were all my teachers cool and they're just amazing people they're basically like you know, giving this gift of... I mean, I, I'm a believer that um, improv classes are going to help anybody in the world in some way. Like, they will help you in, in, in some... Fa- it's personal growth and personal development. And if you're quiet, it will, it'll help you come out of your shell. If you are boisterous and type A, it'll help you, you know, slow down a little and listen to people. It'll help you collaborate. It'll, I mean, p- there's stories of people that I play with who uh, it made them better at their job. So I feel like we owe our teachers who are giving this, you know, gift. They're, they're passing it on. And I'm very grateful and humbled by that. So um, they would be the folks that I would definitely uh, shout out. There's another, another kid uh, who's moved to L.A. to do stand-up, Anthony Decimito. Um, he's hilarious. I played a couple times with him. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. Absolutely, him. and uh, I attribute his co-host for the uh, "Thank You for Being a Podcast" ah, Golden Girls podcast. Genevieve, so, yeah. <laughs> I just met Genevieve recently. Wonderful. So yeah, Anthony's hilarious. Like he's always has cracked me up more than than many. And I'm sure he's gonna do great things, and already is doing great things. Mm-hmm. Well, as a reminder, you can check him out later in the month at uh, You Feel in LA. At, at the, uh, <laughs> oh, I can't remember where it's at, but it's in the details of the Genevieve Rice one. But there you go, Anthony Asimito. Uh, I'm trying to make everyone look good, in, including your your other uh, interviewees. Nice, uh, very nice. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, personally, any plugs? Anything you want coming out? You know, people where they can find you. Um, yeah, if you're interested in uh, improv, we do a monthly show at the Torch. I'm part of two teams. They're just sort of independent displacers is one of them we're usually the first friday of the month at like 8:30, and then another team that i'm a part of called zombie gourmet which <laughs> perfect sort of improv team name right it makes no sense and uh, that team we play once a month at the torch as well we also both both teams play at the second beat uh, improv theater which is new sam haldeman's uh opened uh, a few months ago it is on 7th Street, north of Bethany Home, next to one of those escape room uh, places. Okay. So uh, check that out. And then the Dinner Detective Murder Mystery Show is like once or twice a month. 
if you're interested in uh, dinner and a murder. <laughs> um, and then, oh, the, the, the skewed news hour that we do every Friday, it's weekly, is probably the most, like, uh, accessible show, is what I would call it, like, to, like, the average sort of non-improv uh, fan. <laughs> and it is... We put a newspaper out, and the crowd shows up early, and they cut out articles and pin it up on a corkboard, and then we use those articles to inspire our scenes. So awesome. you have a little, okay. it's a, diff, a little bit of a different style than, than other kinds of long form where we're using that, using the articles and the current events. Right. So well, well, like the short form, it's got kind of a gimmick to it, so it's a little easy. People can get along on board pretty quick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, last thing I like to ask um, everybody is just. If someone were to start off, uh, you know, in Phoenix today, maybe specifically as an improviser, like what, what advice would you want to give them? Um, well, I can speak to how I did it, which was like if you're if you're hesitant, but you sort of feel like you want to give it a try, um, seek it out because there are many other people who are probably in the same boat as you. The, a lot of the people from my level one class at both places I had a level one class had the same story of like I, I always wanted to try it and my my reaction was if I don't do this I'm gonna regret it so like seek it out and and do it it's there if you're passionate about it do it follow your follow your passion follow your fear I was I was terrified by it and I thought that's a good thing do things that scare you do things that are uncomfortable um, I happen to sort of be lucky in that the dinner show pays us <laughs> so I have been able to earn back uh, so performing is no longer a uh, an, just an interest of mine it's or like a hobby it's an actual like paying thing so all the money I've spent in classes and workshops I've been able to make a couple times over doing the dinner show so it doesn't hurt that I'm not paying for it like <laughs> it's not like an expensive hobby it actually it's a hobby that pays me so um, if you can get lucky and get paid for for your art um, great and I think there's yeah. only one way to get there which yeah. is just to do it as much as you possibly can right seek it out do it follow your fear I love it all right Eric thank you so much for your time it was, yes. uh, it was a good conversation Good night. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I apologize for all of my horrible ramblings and tangents. It's um, what gets us by. But yeah, this was a lot of fun, and uh, thanks for having me on, bud. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode, show your support by checking us out on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and Google Play. And if you or someone you know is an artist in the Phoenix area who'd be interested in coming on the podcast, or if you just want to tell us how great we are, write us at starvingartistphx at gmail.com. Again, that's starvingartistphx at gmail.com.